Welcome to Faith Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. This morning, uh, Lisa had asked me that I should give a sermon of hope and for the Christmas season, but I'm not going to do a Christmas season sermon this morning. I'm going to leave that to Pastor Joe on next week. But I am going to give you a sermon of uh, hope and a sermon of realization of what's happening in the world today. Our mind is the battlefield for Satan. The number one thing that goes against all things that we believe is whoever controls our mind controls our actions. Whoever controls our mind controls our heart. And Satan has figured this out. Satan has used technology today, whether it be cell phones, whether it be iPads, whether it be computers, whether it be the newspaper, magazines. He's figured out that I can insert lies, deceit, anything that will pull you away and change your mind from the truth. You see, Satan's very cunning in his work against God and man. He twists the truth. He's a liar. He tempts people to believe the lies. And then he devours them whole. He does all this by changing the way you think. If you change the way you think about something, then eventually you believe it. And then you lose the truth. You lose the concept of good and evil. You lose the concept of right and wrong. You lose that truth. And that's what he wants. In our day and age, it's called indoctrination. It happens in some of our schools most of our colleges, most of our universities. We send young men and women to go and get degrees to learn how to live in society, how to function. And they come out with a mind filled with nothingness, empty of the truth, filled with lies that lead to destruction. So the Bible speaks a lot about this mind. And we're going to go through some of these things about the mind. The first is called a deprived mind or depraved mind. Romans 1.28 says, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what they ought not to do. This depraved mind means that their mind is corrupt. It's wicked, destitute of holiness, are good principles. That's why it says in here that they do what they ought not to do. Because they don't understand. They don't know right and wrong. They choose to do evil rather than to do righteousness. And since they do not seek holiness, then the opposite is true. If you don't seek holiness, if you don't seek righteousness, if you don't seek the truth, what are you going to seek? The opposite. You're going to seek false teachings. You're going to seek evil. You're going to seek wickedness. They have no standard for which to follow on the basis of what's the belief. This is our standard, isn't it? A standard that we follow, you follow, Christians follow, should follow. But they don't believe in this. If you don't believe in this, what's your standard? How do you determine good and evil? What's good in your eyes? without the standard. Paul says in here in Romans 1.28, he says that they knew God but found it not worthwhile to retain this knowledge. What does that mean? It implies that they had a knowledge of God. 
He's saying, well, they didn't want to retain it. They didn't want to keep it. But they had a knowledge of God. Where did they get this knowledge? Let's go to Romans 1. Let's look at verse 20. Of course, I should have marked this before. Romans 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are what? Clearly seen. seen. Who is he talking to here? Paul's addressing the Gentiles even, right? And the Jews. He's actually, in this verse, he's talking to everybody. He says, from the beginning of creation, his attributes are clearly seen. If you can see his attributes, way back in the beginning, 6,500 some years ago, they should be there today. If we go down a little bit further, they are there today. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power. Oh, so we can see his attributes. We can understand them by the things that he made. What did he make? Everything. Right. Everything has he made. And because if we look at the trees, if we look at the grass, we look at the stars, we look at everything around us, we look at the fish, the animals, partners. He's made them all. And he says, if you look at that, you look at those, look at the things that I've made, you should have an understanding of who I am as the creator. What does it mean to retain the knowledge of God? It means that you have it in you. The Bible says that he writes upon our hearts and upon our minds his what? His laws, his commandments, his words. If they're written in every individual's hearts and minds, then what happens? If you refuse to retain what's written, you choose. A choice has been made. You choose to not retain it. You push it aside. You get rid of it. You don't want to deal with it. You want anything to do with it. Has this happened before in our history? Genesis 6-5. What was the world like when Noah was around? What did God say? The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. And he adds a little word at the end, continually. Do we understand what that means? The word intent here means he intentionally chose to think evil thoughts. It's not that they could say, oh, I don't want to think about that. It says that they intentionally chose to think evil thoughts. And then at the end of that verse, it says, continually. They never stopped. It wasn't a one-time thing for them. It was an every day, every moment, every minute occurrence. If they could find something evil, they would think it. They would do it. They would perform it. I can see where God, at that point in time, was his heart was broken. What about today? What do we have for today? When I talked about technology sitting in our faces, 
I worked in the computer industry for 45 years. Every day was a struggle for me. Every single day. Because I intently was on that screen, doing businesses, doing work for the business, bringing in, going to the internet, finding things we can buy, buying software, hardware, and whatever happens, what pops up? And every day I have to fight that. Pops up, get rid of it. Go to my server, go to my systems analyst, go to my network analyst and tell them, hey, this popped up, get it out there on the server until kick it out. We don't want it. And all the people that I work with had the same problem. Satan knows how to use technology to get your mind off of thinking of what's righteous and what's good and get it thinking what's evil. He knows how to do it. This is why Christ came to the world. That we can escape the sinful destruction that sin brings. Isn't it? That's why we as servants of Lord Jesus Christ bring the good news of salvation to the world. Because they're in sin. They're desperate. That's why we preach and teach the word of God to inform the lost that there is hope. Romans 10, 14 instills in us the value and urgency of preaching and teaching God's word. It says, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We have a destiny. We have a ministry. We have a mission as Christians, accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit living within us, the Word of God at our hands, right in front of us, we have a ministry to get out and preach the Word of God. Not just the pastors, not just those who teach Sunday school, but you. Every single one of you meet more people than I would ever meet just up here preaching or teaching on one Sunday. That's your ministry. That's your mission. To teach the word of God. To let those who are lost know that there is hope. There is salvation in Christ. Paul also calls the mind futile in Romans 1.21, Ephesians 4.17. In Romans he says their thoughts are futile. And in Ephesians he says their mind is futile. Ephesians 4.17 says this, I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Having their understanding darkened. Notice that Romans says their thoughts are futile. And then here in Ephesians it says their minds are futile. So we know that the thought and the mind are together. They're being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. The futile mind is similar to a depraved mind. It means that they think with their minds, what they think with their minds has no value. It has no weight. It has no substance. In other words, it's utterly useless. A mind without Christ is a useless mind, is what Paul is saying. Useless for the kingdom. 
useless for the glory of God, a mind without Christ. They live in this world today. They live in a fantasy land. They're unable to think on their own. They are given over to evil thoughts. This is the woke of this age. Never heard of that word until the last couple of years. But the woke of this age is true. They follow their hearts. They follow their selfish desires. They have no understanding. They have no thoughts of what they're saying or any idea of what they actually are saying. They just want to be shout from the mountaintops, senseless, wordless phrases that mean nothing. That's the woke of this world. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Shout from the mountaintops. But I got nothing to give you. Just words. No meaning. The Bible calls this a depraved mind. Another mind is the blinded mind. This mind has a help. It's helped to be blind. It doesn't go blind on its own. It's blinded by somebody else. 2 Corinthians 4.1 says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness. What does craftiness mean? I'm just going to go through this a little bit here. Not walking in craftiness means we're not walking in with lies. I'm not out here telling you lies. That's what Paul is saying. Nor handling the word of God deceitfully. That means we're not frauds. We gave you the whole truth. So we're not lying to you. We're giving you the whole truth. And then the last part, it says, by manifestation of the truth. The word manifestation means disclosing secret, unseen, and obscure meanings. Isn't that what the Bible does? The disciples were discipled by Christ. And one of the passages in the Bible says that Jesus said to them, they asked Jesus, why do you speak in parables? What did Jesus say to them? He says it's for you to know these things, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, and not for them. So when the disciples wrote, or the apostles wrote this book inspired by the Holy Spirit, what did they do? They revealed those mysteries of the kingdom of heaven that were revealed to them. And they gave it to us. And now we have that revelation in his word. We can know the mysteries of Christ. We can know the mysteries of why the Gentiles were saved. We can know the mysteries of God and his kingdom was given to the Holy Spirit through the apostles from Christ. As we continue on with this, 2 Corinthians 4.1, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has Blinded. Who is the God of this age? Satan, isn't it? He's blinded their minds. It's interesting to see up here where it says those who are perishing. Whose minds did he blind? Unbelievers, right? We were once that. Our minds were blinded. 
and we're going to go through a little bit further that we'll be able to see now. Everybody has that opportunity and has that chance. I have here six symptoms that surface when a person's mind is blinded by Satan. Number one is they blindly believe there is no God. The atheists choose to blindly believe that something came from nothing, that there is no God. I think it's Psalms or Proverbs or says, a foolish man is the man that thinks that there is no God. How foolish can you be to think that there is no God? Romans 1 says, For this, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. How can you say that there is no God? Right here, Paul's telling you that there is a God because you just have to look at creation. And there is God. Everywhere you look, there is God. It also goes along with a deprived mind in verse 20 that they lack understanding. Verse 20 says in Romans 120, he said, you should have understood by observing creation, the flowers, the trees, the sun, the moon, the whole universe, but they choose not to believe in God. A choice, a choice that we all have to make at some point in time. Do we believe or not believe? That's the choice. Now compare their blind faith to the evidence-based faith of Christianity. Our creator grants believers uh, the eyes to see and ears to hear. Matthew 13, 16 says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you, many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. He is talking to the disciples here. He's talking to the apostles here. But he's also talking to us. Because of what I said before in the previous set, we get to see and hear because they heard and saw first, and they wrote it down through the Holy Spirit, through inspiration. And once they gave it to us in written form, now we have a vision of God's plan, don't we? We have a vision of what God really is and who He really is. We know, we see, and we hear through His Word. Matthew 28:19. Oh, sorry, I got a little bit further ahead here. Uh, number two is that they finally believe they are not on the road to hell. How many in this world today think that they're not on the way, on the road to hell? They don't even believe in hell. Hell doesn't exist. Half of them say heaven doesn't exist. When you die, you just poof. You disappear. It's over. That's what they want to believe. So let's live every day as if tomorrow doesn't exist. Poof. And they live in sin. How many of them know John 3.16? We all know John 3.16. How many know John 3.18? He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in his a condemned what? Already. That's the message they should be preaching to the lost. Because until they know that they're condemned, until they know that they're sinners, until they know that they're lost, they don't need a Savior. Save them from what? That's why we need a Savior. Because we're all condemned. Condemned to where? The road to hell. They don't want to preach that nowadays. I watched a couple of... Uh, 
messages this week from the prosperity preachers, many of them, probably 20 of them, and they all preach the same message, oh, that you're good inside, and if you give, 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 God will give back. Is that really what the message is? If you give, he will give? When did God give us Christ? Was it when we were in our sins or after? He gave it to us first, didn't he? God is always giving. doesn't matter what we give. At least at this point in time. There is a thing that once we become Christians, we want to give. What is that? We want to give up our time. We want to give up our labor. We want to give up our efforts. We want to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As Kathy had in her music this morning, I was listening to it intently, and it is. He is the King of Kings. We serve him, a mighty God. Do we really realize that? The God that we serve? What he has done for us? What he has done for humanity? What he has done by sending his son? Do we really realize who we serve? If you walked into the White House today, some people would be in awe of what it looks like. Maybe in awe of even the president that's there. But he's nothing. All the leaders of the world are nothing compared to the king that we serve. God wants to save his people. He wants all to come to the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2.4. And yet the bottom line is that many people refuse to come to Christ. They have their sins forgiven. And they're on their way to the road to destruction. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14 tells us about the wide and the narrow gate. Why is the wide gate so, such an easy path to destruction? It's a path that a lot of people take. And it's so wide. I always envision in my mind that when the lost come together, there's a side by side. Wide as they can go to go through the gate to destru destruction. But when the true believer, he comes single file through the narrow gate. Nobody's on this side, nobody's on that side. Goes single file. If you look at those rioters, you look at people who are lawlessness, look at those people that come together as gangs. Their power is in the numbers. Our power is in Jesus Christ. We get to go through that gate. Third is they're blinded to the biblical doctrine of the Trinity, which states that God consists of three persons and one God. I didn't know how to actually put this into context because from Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation, the Trinity is exposed. The Trinity is explained. The Trinity is there. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How can you divide, define three in one when it's already there? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How can you deny it? You can't, unless you're a non-believer. Matthew 3, 16 and 17, he talks about the Holy Spirit, talks about God, talks about Jesus. Three in one. The three of them are there. All God, three different identities. John 1, 1, 2, 
God and Jesus. John 14, 26, Jesus says, I'm going to send the helper. Who's the helper? Holy Spirit. If he didn't exist, how can he send something that doesn't exist? How can they deny it? Because they don't want to believe it. They hold themselves accountable. If someone ever tells you that the doctrine of the Trinity is unbiblical, you're talking to a person that has been blinded by Satan. Let's go to number four. They blindly believe that your good deeds can make up for your bad deeds. I've heard this for 20-some years when I was a Catholic. I've got nothing against Catholics. They're human beings. They're God's creations. But their belief system has a flaw. At what point in time do your good deeds outweigh the bad deeds? Or vice versa? Now, is God writing down everything you say and do? Yes. Everything. Revelations 20 tells us that. But the books are open. Why is he opening the books at the great white throne judgment? Because you're going to be judged for everything you say and do according to your works. Now, who's at the great white throne judgment? The unbelievers. They're at that judgment. Where are the believers? Either taken up in the rapture or you died and went to heaven. Are we judged by our works? No. We're judged by the works that we've done for Christ. The unbelievers at the great white throne judgment are judged for the works that they've done against Christ. See the difference? That's why there's two judgments. One for believers, one for unbelievers. People don't want to believe that. Read Revelations. What is Revelations anyway? When you think about it, you got the bowls, you got the trumpets, you got the horses, you got the Antichrist, you got the anti-prophet. What is that Revelations telling you? All the judgments against the world of unbelievers to try and turn them to believe. It's kind of the same thing that happened with the ten plagues. He tried to turn Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's heart just got harder and harder and harder. And if you read Revelations, what does it say when the judgments come? They raised their fists to God and cursed God. Instead of getting on their knees and worshiping and respecting God, repenting of their sins and accepting Christ, their Savior, they rose their fists in anger. They ran into the caves and said, let the caves and the mountains fall on us. And they cursed God. What a depraved mind. Gone. It doesn't even know right and wrong. When it's right in their faces. I feel sad for them. Sad in the fact that I know what's going to happen to them. I know where they're going. I know what their future is. And so do you. And that's why it's imperative that we reach every lost soul that we can with the Word of God. How many good deeds do you have to do to get into heaven? How much money do you have to give to get into heaven? 
That's our philosophy today, isn't it? How much money can we spend to get somebody to be a congressman? The one with the most money wins. Isn't that how it goes? But not for heaven. How can you give something to God that he already has? He's got a cattle on a thousand hills. He's got all the gold in the world because he made it. He's got all the silver. What do you have that he needs? You have nothing. Can God survive without you? Will God survive without you? If you don't worship him, what does God say? I'll let the stones cry out and worship me. I don't need you. But his mercy and his love for his creation, because he loved us so great that he sent his son to die on the cross. What a great salvation that we have through him. Number five, they blindly failed to see and believe that only the blood of Jesus can wash away your sins. See, when we were in number four, they thought that all their good deeds, would, every good deed would wash away a sinful deed. Not happening. Didn't even happen in the Old Testament, did it? Why did we have the mercy seat? Why did they have the temple? Why did they have the Ark of the Covenant? Why did the priest have to go into the temple and sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat once a year? It wasn't for forgiveness of sins, because it didn't forgive their sins. It just covered their sins. When did real forgiveness of sin ever come? Through Jesus Christ. When he shed his blood, that sacrifice was over. That's why he said it's finished. It's complete. I've washed away all the sins with my blood. No longer covering the sin, I washed it and cleansed him. And that's what happens when you become a Christian. Your sins, even though we continue to sin, are washed daily when we ask Christ to forgive us our sins. They're washed away. I believe the Bible says that he never wants to, he'll never remember them again. Wow, can you wash away your evil thoughts and never remember them again yourself? No, you can't. Charles Spurgeon said at best, he says, Morality will keep you out of jail, but only the blood of Jesus will keep you out of hell. We can get out of jail free by being following the law, but you're not going to get out of hell just by being moral. Jesus Christ his redemption through his blood. And Ephesians 1 7 says, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Number six, they blindly take coronavirus warnings more seriously than Jesus' warnings. Have you noticed that? I don't want to die. Don't give me the vaccine or give me the vaccine. Whatever it is, I don't want to die. I never was afraid of the virus. <laughs> but to this day, I'm afraid of it. Never took the vaccine. I may die tomorrow from it. I don't know. It's a real thing. I'm not saying the virus isn't real. It is. But I'm more afraid. I'd be more afraid of not being a Christian, not repenting of my sins, 
and knowing that I'm going to spend eternity in hell than I am of a virus. Priorities is where we want to step into. What's your priority? Heaven, hell, or earth? Make it be heaven. Then we have the defiled mind. The defiled mind is from Titus 1.15. It says, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every work. Defiled mind. This mind is a dirty mind. It's a foul mind. It's polluted. It's soiled. It's corrupted. It's violated. It's rendered impure. Rendered defective. It's void. They don't know right and wrong. They have no concept. We see a lot of that defiled mind today. It's called the, I've seen it on TV a couple of times. It's called the flash rob. Have you ever heard of that? It's flawlessness. It's where you get a mob, kids, grown-ups, or whatever, and they run into a store, and they take everything they can, and they run back out. It's a flash rob. It's lawlessness. They have no conscience of what they're doing. The only conscience they have is me, I want, I want, I want. It's the I issue. I want it, I'll take it. It's the lawlessness. Their mind is defiled. You know, it's against the civil law, but it's also against God's commandment. I think command, six commandments says, thou shalt not steal. No conscience. We've seen it in government, haven't we? What happened on 9-11? After 9-11, what happened? Congress comes out. They all stand on the steps. What God did they pray to? I've always wondered, what God did they pray to on that steps? The true God or the God of this world? Let's take a look. If they pray to the true God, then why are these same people who are in Congress vote for abortion rights? Isn't abortion against God? Isn't it against humanity? One of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not kill, and yet they vote for it? What God were they praying to? How about this last couple weeks? They voted for gay marriage. Do you realize the effect of what that vote is going to do for pastors? Now that that's gone through, do you realize if you read into that bill for gay marriage that pastors cannot turn down marrying gay people? You're getting into trouble. You're going against federal law. They put this in their bill. It's terrible. Are they praying to the right God? They steal your money through taxation. What do they do with that money from taxation? What's the group that does all the abortions? Planned Parenthood. Where do they get their money? Not just from the abortion. But they do the abortion for free. Who pays that? 
when they do the abortion for free? Our taxes. So they steal our money through taxation. They give it to Planned Parenthood to go and kill people. What God are they serving? What God did they pray to? But I have hope. Because Revelation tells me that their judgment is coming. And it's coming soon, sooner than we think. Psalmist says it straightforward in Psalms 106, 39. He says, thus they were defiled by their own works and played the harlot by their own deeds. Their own deeds expose them. Their own works expose them. We need to use, since our eyes have been opened and our ears have been opened, we can hear the word and we can see, we need to expose them to the light of Christ. We need to expose them to their evil deeds. If we don't, who will? We need to. Jesus himself said that therefore by their fruits you will know them. They can't hide from us. They can't hide from Christ. They can't hide from God. We know by looking at their fruits who they are. We know by looking at their fruits what they've done. And we need to be able to take hold of that and confront them with it. Why do you do these things? Why do you vote this way? Why do you think this way? We have something in Jesus Christ that can help you. They have a defiled mind. God did not leave us without an escape from Satan's temptation and sin. He will change your mind if you will let him. Then we have the renewed mind. This is our hope. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. Conformed to this world means don't be like the world. But be transformed. So if we don't want to be conformed to this world, we don't want to look like this world, we've got to look like something else. That's the transformation. Who are we going to look like? We want to look like Jesus Christ. He's our example, isn't he? We should be an example of Christ. And so don't conform to this world, but be transformed. And how is it going to be transformed? By the renewing of your mind. Renewing of the mind means repairing that which was damaged. When sin came into the world, our minds were damaged. We rejected God. Adam and Eve rejected God, and that sin came into the world, and now we have a damaged mind that needs renewal. What happens when you take an old house and you refurbish it? You renovate it. You renew it. You make it from old to new. And the same happens with our minds. We accept Jesus Christ what does he do? He makes us a new creation, new creature, newly created. The old has passed away, and the new is here. That's renewing of your mind. Your mind is no longer continually evil. Your mind is no longer continually on those thoughts. Your mind is wanting to worship Christ. Your mind says, my thoughts is, how can I get out and witness to this person? How can I glorify God for what he has done for me? 
Your mind has changed, and it's renewed. Since then, Christ came to restore the relationship that was lost in the Garden of Eden. And now we have it again restored through Jesus Christ. A new mind to follow him. Paul says it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things passed away, all things have become new. The old has passed away, and we are no longer blinded by the lies of Satan. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Except Christ is your Savior, then the truth is within you. What does it say? The truth will what? Set you free. Amen to that. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We have it all here. Reproof, correction. It's all profitable. This is the most profitable book that you will ever read. Right here. You want to be rich? Be rich in Christ. You can't replace that. Then we have the last mind, which is the mind of Christ. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16. Romans 15.5 says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus. Paul is quoting... Isaiah 40, 13, when he makes that statement concerning all believers, we have the mind of Christ. Having the mind of Christ means sharing the plan, the purpose, the perspective of Christ, and it is something that all believers possess. It's the mind of Christ. In the verses leading up to 1 Corinthians, I read them some of those this morning in our opening uh, before the music. The mind of Christ stands sharp in sharp contrast to the wisdom of man, verses 5 and 6. This is 1 Corinthians 2. So verses 5 and 6, you can jot these down if you want. The mind of Christ stands in sharp contrast to the wisdom of man. Number two is the mind of Christ involves wisdom from God, once hidden, but now revealed. Verse 7. Number three is the mind of Christ is given to believers through the Spirit of God. How do you get the mind of Christ? Through the Spirit of God. How do you get the Spirit of God? Accepting Jesus Christ, salvation. Number four is the mind of Christ cannot be understood by those without the Spirit. What is, that's verse 14. Without the Spirit, the unbeliever cannot understand this message, this word. But God calls everybody, doesn't he? You answer the call because your conscience says that there's something different out there. Your conscience says, looks at your neighbor, looks at us, looks at Christians, says, you got something that I want. You got something that's different. And because of that, the Spirit of God can start working. Working in that soul and working in that heart. The mind of Christ gives believers discernment in spiritual matters. Verse 15. Discernment and spiritual matters. That's something we really need in this country. 
They don't know the spiritual matters. They don't know what the Spirit is bringing. They don't know what the Spirit can do for you. They don't know how the Holy Spirit works. We do. And we can discern it. And last and not least is John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, bring you to remembrance all things that I said to you. We have the scriptures because the Holy Spirit helped the apostles remember what transpired when Jesus walked the earth. And so we too, since the Spirit resides in us, can call upon him to help us remember what we read. To help us to understand what we read. And how do we do that? Through a renewed mind of Christ. Our minds. So in this week, we celebrate Christmas, birth of our Lord and Savior, our King. The challenge is to read the Christmas story in Matthew chapters 1 through 2 and remember why Christ was born in the first place. And realize that at one point in time, we were enemies of God. And there still are enemies of God. And there's a battlefield for our minds that Satan has taken a hold of in all the technology, in all the books, everything that's out there. We only need one book to fight against Satan. Only one book. We don't need 10 steps to a healthy spiritual life. I don't need to read any of those books. I got one book here that tells me it all. So read those chapters, and I'll say Merry Christmas to you, and see you next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that this message has resounded that you're able to give to me this week and the hearts of men and women. I pray, Father, that we have this opportunity through this Christmas season to be able to reach out to one person, one soul, one living individual, to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's the greatest. It says the angels in heaven applaud. They sing praises when one person comes to accepting Christ. And I ask, Father, you give us that opportunity and that we not squander it, that we not be ashamed, but we boldly go forth and give the message to them. I ask, Father, too, that you would, all those who are present, those who are watching on on TV, that you would bless their lives, keep them safe from Satan's harm, and then realize that coronavirus, whatever's in the world today, God is control of all, and that we should put our reliance on him and give him the glory for all. And as we go through this Christmas season, I want to see that everybody would be filled with joy, sing praises to our Lord and our Savior for what he has done. And I ask for travel mercies for Pastor Joe and his family, that they come back fulfilled, hopefully well-rested, and the drive is not too tiring for him, that the roads will be in good shape. And as we go out this week, we give you all the glory, Lord Jesus, and all the praises for my King and my Savior. And I worship you and you alone. In your Son's name, Jesus. Amen.